Welcome to the next of our midweek Lenten devotional uh, thoughts on John chapter 17. We're going to be focusing on verses 13 to 19 in this talk. And this is the second part of Jesus' prayer to his disciples. So I'm going to read the verses first of all to you. John chapter 17 verses 13 to 19. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hid them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, for I am to sanctify myself, they too must be truly sanctified. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we give you thanks again for your word. We thank you for this prayer of Jesus uh, on his disciples' behalf. We pray our heavenly Father that you will help us to learn from it this evening and apply it to our lives as we are also called to be Jesus' disciples. Amen. As I said, we're now looking in these verses 13 to 19 at the second part of Jesus' prayer to his disciples. In verse 13, he reminds them again, his father again, that he's coming back to him. I'm coming to you now. So Jesus is reminding his father that he is about to accomplish his mission to earth to die on the cross. His work was about to be completed and therefore he was anticipating and looking forward to his return again back to heaven, I am coming to you now. He prays for his disciples in the second part of this verse that they may know his joy in their lives. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Joy is one of the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace and joy. And Jesus therefore is anticipating and praying to the Father that the disciples would have the same inner joy that he had in his life. In chapter chapter 15, sorry, in verse 11, he said, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He says to the disciples, he's been talking to them about what they were to live by and be his disciples. And he says that your joy may be complete. Jesus knew that they needed to have his joy within their lives because he knew the difficult situation that they're going to be facing in the future. The world will hit them just as it hated Jesus Christ. He says, ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. Jesus asked the disciples that they would ask God for many things and one of these things was to have his inner joy in the world, in the, within their lives. The world... And our joy of itself is only temporary. It's very different from happiness. It doesn't last. It's not an inner joy. But as I said, it's a fruit of the Spirit. Around us are many things that do not bring joy or true lasting joy into our lives. But this trust in Christ gives us an inner joy. It's God's gift to us through the Holy Spirit. Jesus had sorrow. He is called a man of sorrows by Isaiah and acquainted with grief, yet he had joy. We read in Hebrews how that he uh, was going to endure the cross for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus 
for the joy, the joy that he's going to go back to heaven to his reward for having accomplished his mission was what kept Jesus going. The joy that he would be back in the perfection and glory and splendor of heaven again. Jesus endured the cross, yet filled with God's joy, despite all that he was completing the Father's salvation purpose and would return to the joy of his Father and his Father's reward and presence this joy, inner joy, would not be taken from him despite all that was going to happen to him, the suffering and agony of the cross. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16 said, about God's word bringing us joy. When your words came, I ate them, and they were my joy and my heart's delight. See, God's word can bring us joy as well, encouragement, but it brings us joy because it's God speaking to us. Psalm 119 and verse 14 and verse 162 say, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. It's like somebody who's rich, who's happy because they have great riches, or someone who finds some great uh, treasure. They are full of joy and rejoicing. And so he says it's just like that. That's the joy we can have within our lives, but it's a different, deep inner joy. Nehemiah would say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So God's gift, Nehemiah says, is our strength, the joy of knowing God and God's presence with us. We ha uh, can find inner joy despite all that's happening around us, all the unhappy situations, circumstances of life throws at us. This comes through our faith and trust in the Lord, in his word and the promises that we find in it daily. The joy of Jesus is a foretaste of the joy to come one day forever in the Lord. And if you read the book of Revelation, we read there about the joy, the rejoicing of the innumerable heavenly hosts in the presence of God. The world and its values and its standards are very different. They are totally opposed to God's standards. And Jesus would refer to that now in verses, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the word is to them, and they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Yes, the values of the world are different from God's values. And the world does not like God's values. It hates God's values. We see that totally in evidence in the world today in which we live. When Christians take a stand for biblical truth and moral principles, they find that the world hates them. To simply be identified and take a stand for Jesus Christ and speak for Jesus Christ and speak the gospel often brings hatred and bitterness and rejection but certainly taking a stand for the standards of God's word and the teaching of God's word brings opposition from the world but God's word in Romans chapter 12 says do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind we're to continually allow God's word to change our minds to make us more like Jesus Christ and more like God. Not to conform, not to blend in to the standards and values of the world around us. God's word shows us what the world really is like. The world competes uh, for God's love and from us. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father, but from the world. 
the world and the desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. There's the great promises. We're not to love the world or anything in the world. If we do, then it says, we have not the love of the Father in us. Remember Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we can't serve two masters. We love the one and hate the other. And he says, everything in the world, what we crave in our sinful lives, uh, what we see with our eyes, the lust of our eyes, the desires we have put in front of us in the world, uh, in front of our eyes, and what we boast about how great we are and what we do, those are not from God. They are from the world. They're the world standards, the praise of man rather than the praise of God. The world's desires, it says, are only temporary. Whoever does God's will lives forever. So if we follow God's standards and God's word and faith and trust in Christ, then we are following something that's eternal for us and will never be taken away for us. Whereas the things of this world are only temporary and do not bring us the real inner joy and reward and satisfaction we find in God's word. The more we read God's word and follow it, the more our lives are changed, the more we become like Jesus Christ and the more we become like Christ, the more the world will uh, see us as different and the more the world will hit us. But which is more important, loving God, God's word and the standard of God's word and having the praise uh, of God and the approval of God or the praise and approval of the world? Warren Worsby says, we are in the world, but not of the world. We must not live like the world. You know, our modern world is full of modern conveniences and sophisticated technology. Uh, the church and the Christian find themselves more and more difficult to live in the world and not be of the world. It's a continuous challenge that the Christian person has. Political correctness, as we know, has gone mad now. We're nearly afraid to speak in case we offend somebody. Or when we do speak, we claim we offend somebody by something simple that we express. Our individuals and our groups can take offence, uh, can claim discrimination, intolerance of Christianity and Christian values and Christian witness and the word of God is rife in our world today. More than ever, we see that the world hates Christian values, God and the word of God and hates living out and speaking out for Christian values. You know, the world is evangelizing the church, bringing its values into the church, rather than the other way around, where the church should be evangelizing, bringing the values of the gospel into the world. The church is fighting a battle all the time against these standards. Holman Hunt uh, said, worldliness is more an attitude than an act, it has to do not so much with what we do as why we do it. Verse 14 also, Jesus said that he had given them his word. He early had said how they had obeyed his word and they had accepted his word. Now he says, I have given them your word. Jesus had left his teaching behind God's message to them. We must remember that if we live in the world, we must live according to God's word and its teaching. Read Psalm 119 or, for example, Psalm uh, 19 verses 7 to 11. It tells us about all the wonderful things that God's word can do for us. The blessings that we find in reading God's word, the refreshment, the strength 
and the help that we give that we find from reading God's word. It says it's perfect, it revives your soul, it's trustworthy, makes wise and simple, its precepts are right, it gives joy. There's that word joy again to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, it gives light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. And the psalmist goes on to say, they are more precious than gold, much pure gold, sweet and honey and the honeycomb. It says, by keeping them, your servant receives great reward. We're very clear in, in Timothy how God's word is breathed, it's inspired by God, how it's useful for teaching, uh, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We read in Second Peter how scripture did not come about by any man's own desire, but it came from God. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they cried along by the Holy Spirit. It's not a personal view, the scriptures we find. It's the very word of God. It's the true word of God that we have to follow in our lives every day. D.L. Moody, the famous uh, Christian preacher of the 19th, 20th century, said that he had in his Bible this inscription, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. God's word is a standard by which we must live our lives. It gives us power for living the Christian life. But then we read in verses 15 to 17 these words. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus prayed for his disciples. He prayed here for protection again against the evil one. In verse 11, he had prayed that protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. He asked for protected by the name of Jesus. And he says now, protect them from the evil one. Jesus was very clear that the disciples were going to be attacked in many ways by the devil, by the world, the flesh and the devil. And therefore they needed God's protection because the devil was out to destroy them as disciples, take them away from following Jesus Christ, to water down their witness for the gospel and not to be true and obedient to the teaching of Jesus Christ and in their day the presentation of the gospel so and that evil one protect them. He was their spiritual enemy and Jesus wanted to be protected, not necessarily physically because he knew that would happen, but be protected from the spiritual attacks and they would stand firm and strong and clear in it. You see in the Middle Ages, uh, there was Christians who believed that you needed to get out of the world, go away from the evil pollution of the world and influences. And that's why monsters were set up the belief that keeping away from the world would stop the people being polluted and being influenced by the world. To live away in isolation. We know what it's been like to live in a certain social isolation at the present in the middle of this corona pandemic. But the monasteries, they lived in total seclusion, isolation, no communication with the world. But did it change the world? No. The standards of evil and sin were still rampant in the world. Instead of going out and living, being salt and light in the world around them, they withdrew and did not change the world. Being in the world, but being not of it, is what we are called to be as Christians. Jesus said to be salt. Salt is a preservative, makes a good flavour to food. 
a light is something that shines in darkness. And so our living, our conversation should be seasoned like salt. It should be good and wholesome conversations and character and behaviour and the Christian influence of our lives. Jesus Shainism is what we are called to be in the world around us. That's Jesus' prayer for his disciples and his prayer for us as well. He says, as sanctify, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. He acknowledges what God's word is. It's truth. It's reliable. It's true. It's authentic. It's genuine. There's no thing corrupt about it. And he says, sanctify them. Sanctify means cleanse and set apart. We're called to live by God's word. We're called to live for Jesus Christ. Not to live out of the world, live in the world, but live lives that are seen to be different among people around us. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. When we become Christians, we're said we are justified. That means we're acquitted. We're declared no longer guilty. We're pardoned from our sin and made right with God through Jesus Christ by what he's done for us on the cross. Justified. But then that's not the end of it. Once we become a Christian, God begins his work by the Holy Spirit in our lives to make us more like Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5 we read, Therefore since we are justified by God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given us. You see, once we become Christians, God begins a work in our lives. It's a work of perseverance, perseverance that comes through suffering, and, so, and this perseverance and through suffering builds up our character, builds up and makes us more like Jesus Christ, more resilient, stronger, and it gives us hope, a hope that we know one day we should be rewarded, that God will never leave us, we'll have a reward in heaven one day. It's so important that we realise that God has begun a work on it and he will continue that work until we leave the scene of time. Warren Wersby says about these verses, When you were saved, you were set apart for God. As you grow in your faith, you are more and more experiencing sanctification. You love sin less. You love God more. You want to serve him and be a blessing to others. All this comes through the word of God. God's word and Jesus' presence by his Holy Spirit in our lives makes us more like Jesus Christ. In fact, he goes on to say, it is not enough merely to study the Bible and learn a great deal of doctrine and truth. You must also love Jesus more as you learn all that he has done for us. Learning and loving should lead to living, allowing the Spirit of God to enable us to obey his word. This is how we glorify him in the present world. Read God's word, learn from it, and then apply it to our lives and our living. God has given us, Warsby says, uh, three truths. His word is truth, as we read in this verse. His son is truth, John chapter 14. His spirit is the truth, 1 John chapter 5. We need all three if we had experienced true sanctification. That is, we need God's word, we need God's son, and we God's, no, need God's Holy Spirit. Sanctification that touches every part of our inner being. With the mind, we can learn God's truth through the Bible. With the heart, we can love God's truth, his Son. 
with the will we can yield to God's Holy Spirit and live God's truth day by day. It takes all three for a balanced experience of sanctification. We need God's Word, we need God's Spirit and we need God's Son dwelling in our lives if we are to live the lives that God wants us to be. We're cleansed from sin, sanctified that is set apart to live for Jesus in this present world. We are not to feel we are superior Christians. We're not to be hypocritical Christians. We're not to behave as the Pharisees did who looked down on everybody else and who wrote off people who didn't live up to their high standards. We are not to look down on other Christians or other people. We're to love them as God loves them. First Peter says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. We're living in this world. We're like foreigners in this world. Like people who've come from another country and live in this world. We're living in a different place, not an eternal place, but a temporary place in this world. But we're told to live our lives in such a way among people who don't know Jesus Christ or don't care about Jesus Christ, that even if we do something wrong uh, and they accuse of doing wrong, the way we live our lives will bring glory to Jesus Christ and to God in the future. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, Put in your hearts set apart uh, Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. We're to set Jesus Christ apart as Lord of our lives, in charge of our lives, and we should be always ready to give a reason for our Christian faith and our Christian living to those who live in the world around us. Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so you know how to answer everyone. Our conversation, our behaviour, our character, should be full of God's grace, God's indwelling presence and strength. Season, it says, like salt, we should be wholesome and good, and so we can always be ready to give an answer for our faith and hope. And then, verse 18 19, As you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they truly may be sanctified. Jesus had been sent into the world. You sent me into the world. That's what God had done. He'd sent Jesus Christ into the world. Jesus Christ had fulfilled God's purpose in the world. I'm coming now to you. He reminded God the Father at the beginning of our section of prayer this evening. His Father's mission was now completed. He was now returning to heaven. But the disciples were going to continue this world. As you sent me into the world, I sent them into the world. The words of the Great Commission Go and make disciples of all nations, was Jesus' command to the disciples. In Acts chapter 1, he tells them that he be his witness in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. What happened on the cross was the foundation of all that happened in the world afterwards. On it he would secure something important and everlasting for all people. Forgiveness of sins, the certainty of heaven and his free gift of eternal life. But the disciples were now sent to go out and proclaim that message in the world for Jesus Christ. Just as he had said, I sanctify myself, as he had set himself aside for the task of coming into this world, 
for the salvation of the world by his death and shed blood on the cross and by his resurrection. So now the disciples are being set apart, sanctified, going out now to live and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are being sent out as his witnesses. And so we are called to do that as the disciples were, to be witnesses to God's word by our words, by our deeds, by our lies and lips. We are to present Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ by our living and by our words, by what we say and by what we do. That's what Jesus Christ calls us to do. Holman says, The Father sent the Son into the world, and now the Son was sending the believers into the world. In effect, he, sa- he said, uh, Lead these disciples on account of my dedication, as I have dedicated myself to your work, then as they live their lives for you, Father, they will ultimately enjoy the fixed and final dedication you bestow upon them. Jesus Christ was calling his disciples to go out into the world and to live for him. He is calling them uh, to be his witnesses, to live for him in the world, but not of the world, as he had set himself apart and lived by the word of God. So now the disciples were to set themselves apart for God's mission and to live by the word of God and by the word of Jesus Christ. And so that surely is what he calls us to do as well. Yes, his disciples' prayer, or what Jesus prayed for his disciples uh, over these last two weeks we've been thinking about, and particularly tonight, reminds us that we are Jesus' disciples if we follow him by faith and trust. We are called to live by his truth, be guided by his Holy Spirit. We are to be set apart by the way we live our lives and by the words we say and the deeds we do, that we belong to Jesus Christ. Next week, we'll see what Jesus prays for those who become Christians, disciples, after the disciples have proclaimed their message. In other words, he's speaking about us today who become his followers due to the work of the disciples all those years ago and those who have gone after them and came before us who proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this prayer of Jesus Christ. We thank you that he set aside himself and came into the sinful and wicked world and he went in his holiness, his purity and sinlessness to a cross and died for our sins and our salvation. The world hated him, yet because of the joy of doing your will and of his return to heaven, he lived and carried out your will. Help us, Heavenly Father, to give our lives to Christ, to trust in him by faith alone, to follow the teaching of your word, Uh, to follow Jesus Christ and be guided by the Holy Spirit. Set ourselves aside to live for Jesus and speak for Jesus every day. In his name we pray. Amen.